Thanks for tuning back to look at the holes from my surgery. We're so happy to see you. This is our second episode with C. Courtney Joyner. We gotta go back and watch Surf Ninjas. No, we don't. Yes. However, you should watch Transfers 3 because that's directed by... C. Courtney Joyner. Absolutely. We're gonna talk about directing, Tim Thomerson, some of the board games he's done, Western novels, more stories. Thank you so much. Here's the episode. So let's talk about directing Transfers Three and your other directing uh, your, your 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 directing credits. Did you enjoy it? Was it mm. what you thought it would be? What, did you find it limited? Lim because as a writer, you get to dream. Because the three of us have made several short films, and we're nowhere near. You're you know you're a professional, and we're not, but. You get to dream things, and then reality sets in, right? When you actually show up to shoot something. Oh, sure. I mean, well, there were a couple of things with Transfers 3. First of all, the fact that Charlie even gave me that opportunity was, you know, that was pretty special. But he was running the company, and that was really his priority at that point, you know. And and even when we did uh, uh, Dr. Mordred, you know, he had split his uh, time with his dad. And, uh, but I would never have gotten Transfers 3 at all if it hadn't been for Tim Thomerson. That's just the reality. Oh, really? Period. You know, I bit worked on a movie with Tim called Vietnam, Texas. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, we just became very, he's one of my very closest friends. Uh, I just talked to him this morning. And, uh, he just told Charlie, he said, look, you know, let's, uh, or rather you should say, yeah, look, um, you know, uh, <laughs> let's not fuck up this one. Let's, uh, let's uh, support your shop. So it was great. That's not uh, half bad. <laughs> oh, thank you. And so he was so terrific and he was so supportive. Albert was producing and he kind of looked at me as his protege. So I couldn't have had a nicer segue. And I'll tell you, when we were shooting Dr. Mordred, which was only a few weeks before Transfers 3, I was on the set of Mordred quite a bit, and Charlie and Albert both would kind of say, "All right, I want." They wanted me to know the crew, who I you knew most of those guys anyway, because you saw them all the time. Right. But really get to know Adolfo Bartoli, really get to know the key grips, really you know interact with everybody because the next movie they were going to do was mine. Yeah. <laughs> so they really you know wanted to ease me into that position, and then aside from Tim, see. Andy Robinson's wife, Irene Robinson, was my manager. Oh, okay. So I went to Andy, and I was like, I don't know, will you play this part? And he did. I mean, he's just an absolute prince. And believe me, the first time I saw Dirty Harry, I was I was 13 years old. And for me, get, being overwhelmed by this movie, to think that the Scorpio Killer would be in my first film as a director, <laughs> it's just like beyond imagining you know but yeah. he's had such an eclectic career not only was he that he's in hellraiser not yep. only is he in that he has one of the best if you're a trekkie at all he has one of the best characters in deep space nine yes yes uh -huh. he actually he and jeffrey combs have the two best characters in deep space nine so, absolutely and by the sorry we just hung out with jeffrey a couple of months ago at, at a film oh, at, at, oh yeah. jeff's great yeah jeff is great he refused to do the show because he sw he uh, i moderated his panel and we met before and we were talking after it and he actually gave me a compliment but he was like yeah i've told all those stories 
<laughs> and what I wanted to tell, what I was trying to say is, like, Jeff, I don't give a shit what we talk about. You know, it was fine going and having bourbon at a bar, but just let's record it for a second. Does that <laughs> yeah, make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so, nah, I've talked about all those no, stories. I, I gotta get off topic real quick, since since now I know since I know how much of a fan you are, since you're you're friends with Tim Thomerson, because I'm a huge fan of his, and I've yet to see it, but I know it exists. Have you seen Bring Me the Head of uh, Lance Henriksen yet? I'm in it. Oh, you are. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> really? What is this? As myself. We, we shot a scene over at Dark Delicacies, and it's we're standing in line for Lance's book signing. Yeah. And Robert Patrick's in the scene, uh, Lance, and I'm standing there with Tim, and I'm myself, and Tim starts this whole thing of, you know, um, I don't know, I, I should write my autobiography. Uh, and I'd, like, start this very horrible dialogue with him and say, well, what are you going to write about? Yeah. Well, my life. I thought, well, that's not really that interesting. So I like talk him out of writing. <laughs> I think it's so boring. And it's just it's just just awful. But uh Mike Worth did that thing and that trailer with Adrian Barbeau is fantastic. Oh yeah, I, I love the trailer. Seen it. So what, what is this it? this movie is a, it's about Tim and he he he's trying to figure out why Lance Henriksen has such a long career <laughs> and he doesn't. <laughs> Right, that's the basic. That's the very basic. It's, yeah, and it's really it's it's also it's about aging in Hollywood and yeah. how you know how do you suddenly find yourself on the outs when right. you were hot at one time and everything. I mean, it's really wonderful. Now I don't know what stage Mike is at in finishing the thing. Uh, I think it's almost almost done, but I have not seen a, a final cut of it. So uh, James has a great story. We all work in higher education. Uh, uh, Chad works at one institution. James, well, James no longer works, but we, uh, James is a college professor. I work at the University of Kentucky. James was in a, we were, we were waiting to get Lance Hendrickson to sign his book, and he found out he was a college professor. He kept you around for 20 minutes. There was a lot. You know how it is when, when if you've been to these things, there's fans who won't stop talking, and you kind of wanted to get them to go, so you can get them, because it's oh, yeah. just pay, people paying. He wouldn't stop talking to James once he found out, and it, it's the complete opposite of what you would think, so I would... Yeah, because there was a lot. Just of go people. ahead and steal that idea. There was a lot of people, and I was like, "There's going to be, else. they're going to be mad at me. They're not going to be mad at Lance, and it's going to be <laughs> well, that you know, guy the, one at least." The thing is with Lance, and where he and I finally connect. I think the first time we ever really met, and this went to prison because Lane Smith was in prison. Uh -huh. uh, of course, Lane is in Prince of the City. Was Lance's long history with Sidney Lumet, who he literally said, "Look, I, I wouldn't be here without." Well, we wouldn't Sydney be here without so, Sidney Lumet. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when whenever I would get with Lance or so that's that's what we would discuss it, you know, at length. And I think that people kind of forget that that was, you know, just like with Tim, Tim came to the movies through Robert Altman and people, you know, so these these moments tend to get overshadowed because they do genre movies that we love and that type of stuff. And, and, they, and Tim you know, is in a couple of great com. Well, one he's in a couple of comedies, one great one, Volunteers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. With John Candy and, and Tom Hanks, which is another one of those forgotten 80s films. It's actually very funny. Sorry. He's in Car Wash. Yeah, he's in Car Wash. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about Car yep. Wash. All right. We get, we're talking about other people and not talking about you, sir. We're, we apologize. <laughs> They're a lot more interesting than I am. No, you oh. are fascinating. This has been <laughs> one of our favorites so far. So do you want to go ahead and start? No, I want to talk about how did you get... 
So, friend, I'm assuming you worked with Mark Lester, was it six times? How many times have you? Oh, my God, yeah, six or seven, yeah. Six or seven, so I didn't I didn't write down the number. I'm, I'm imagining that you don't hate one another. <laughs> no. <laughs> so how does no, Mark... That is uh, that unless you are Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, unless you are some, uh, unless you're John Williams and Spielberg, you know, unless you're scoring pictures for Hitchcock, you you obviously don't work with a director that many times, specifically as a writer, because we all, no offense to you, all four know who's the first person fired on the picture. Oh yes, that would be the writer. That would be the writer, right? So how did you work with him so many times? Well, when when I was hired to do class in 1999, it's because Mark had gone to uh, the screening at MGM of Prison right when the movie was done. Right. With Pam and Greer, he, by the way. I know. <laughs> Sorry. He and Irwin Yablons were very good friends. And Irwin, Irwin really be, kind of became my godfather. He recommended me all the time, brought me whenever he took a new studio position. He always brought me in on something. I mean, he was, he was remarkable. And yeah, he just told Mark, he said, look, you want, this is the guy you want to do your, your thing. Um, Stanley Mann had written a treatment, but he couldn't write the script because I mean, Stanley was an officer in the writer's guild and everything else. So he was going to produce the movie uh -huh. and uh, they hired me. And so, and then we really didn't use, all we used was the concept of the robot teachers, not yeah. the way they had done it. And then, uh, yeah, and I work with Stanley and I work with Mark. And then finally, the you know, we found the film at, at Vestron. But it went through a lot of stuff. And I was taken off. Other writing teams were brought in. Then they were fired and I was brought back. And then they were fired and brought back again. And finally, it just all ended up being me. And uh, so it was It was a long process, though. But we finally made it. And I got to, I, when, when I went to Seattle and we were finally making this thing. And I didn't even I didn't know who was in it. Really? So suddenly I find out Stacy Keach, and I'm like, cool with that. And I knew Malcolm McDowell because I, I knew him socially a little bit. So I knew Malcolm was going to be in it. But I had no idea about Pam Greer and John P. Ryan. And that was awesome. So <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. I got I was very excited about that. Yeah. So so is, is that how you then you just developed a relationship on that movie? Yeah. And when Mark started to do the three-week films uh, for his own company, and what they would do, you know, those um, uh, those initial, like, Showtime movies, they were really done like television films. They were shot in three weeks, uh -huh. but the budgets weren't as uh, compromised as they are now. And because Showtime would pick up half the tab, Mark would pick up half the tab, he'd release it overseas, you know, and everybody would, would walk away with a little bit of money. Everybody made a little bit of cash. Right. Yeah, and then you'd go on to the next, but they weren't they were as I said they weren't quite as, you know, b bones and scraps the way a lot of this stuff is done today. Uh -huh. And uh we I forget the first one, I think it might have been Public Enemies. I can't remember when I when Mark and I got back together again. Yeah. And then I just stayed we just stayed with it. I we were writing the things and the one thing with Mark that I learned was how to put it down on paper with the way he would direct action scenes. Uh-huh. And I got pretty good with understanding his approach. And, you know, when he was really on it, Mark was a pretty good action director. And I was always a big fan of Commando. And right. So 
I said, okay, so I could figure out how to make that work and he would figure out how to shoot it. And very often we would just walk the location and say, okay, let's put some guys here. Let's put some guys there. We do that. And then I'd go home and I'd put it together, you know, on, in the script. And that was, that was how we did it. And I guess I, 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 we made, I think about six or seven movies. Yeah. You said were made. And I think total, I probably wrote about 15 scripts for him over yeah. the years. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go off on a rant. <clears throat> Since you mentioned Commando, still to this day has one of the worst continuity errors that bugs the crap out of me every time I watch it. That that car, the yellow car, they wreck it, and then in the next scene they're driving away in it. It's okay, a, you I'm just saying. That, yeah. I'm he just did, saying. He didn't write that. I know, <laughs> that, right? He didn't. I know he that, mentioned that, it. Is that, is that Radon Chong's car? Yes, yes. Radon Chong's car. You know, I actually do. I remember that. I. They get in a horrible wreck. The car is totaled, and then the next scene, they drive away in the same car. Here's what you need to do, uh, Courtney, is that you need to get on the phone and have and talk to Mr. Lester and say, listen, there's these three redneck assholes in Kentucky <laughs> that call themselves Bonehead, and you really need to talk to them about this car because we'll be more than happy for him to come on the show and make fun of Chad about the continent. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. You mentioned Commando. I saw an opportunity. Had to take it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, that was, I'm sure that Joel Silver, you know, <laughs> approved it, and yeah. there you go. And, 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 uh, absolutely. no. And by the way, also, you should talk to Jeff Burr. He has never returned my messages, by the way. <laughs> oh, don't, don't feel bad. That's, uh, Jeff rare, rarely returns my messages, so. Yes. Uh, oh, but he does. He will. He'll. I, I don't feel too bad. I understand that's not everybody wants to come on and talk to us. But but that being said, should we move on to some of your books? Because I, I, I haven't read all of them. I haven't read any of them, actually. But I was looking right. through them, and it's fairly prolific. And that's the reason why I wanted to ask you, did you want to do westerns? Yeah, because that's one thing that confused me. Or didn't confuse me, but in, I'm sorry. It, it sparked my interest because you mentioned the fact that you... Monsters was your your big fascination, but you never meant. How did westerns come into it? Well, I I'd always also always been a western guy. In fact, I I think the reason I first saw High Noon was because Lon Chaney Jr. was in it. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and uh, you know I it was just always and you know growing up like with the ABC Sunday night movie and when they would show the good, the bad, and the ugly, it was kind of this big event and you know so you just I got. I, I just love the genre, and uh, but I, I can I can tell you at the point when I started writing westerns, I was extremely lucky because uh, nobody was interested uh, in hiring me as a screenwriter anymore. Uh, it, Is it know, the way that? Can I stop you right there? Is that yeah. the way the business? It's obviously you're just as talented, if not more talented than you than you were. And we find this out with a lot of people that we've had on the show. Is it just where the business went? And oh, yeah. No, that's it, true. It goes, you know, there's always the ups and the downs. Right. And, yeah. you know, I had uh, I'd done an awful lot of assignment work. Uh, I had sold some originals, but but uh, none of the originals had ever been made. Uh-huh. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the studio, I worked for Warner Brothers in different places. But you end up in kind of a weird, you know, limbo yeah, and are you on a television series or not? So eventually, you just kind of run out of gas, and my agents weren't really, you know, at the time. I said, look, if things aren't happening, this is what I really want to do. I want to try my hand at 
fiction. Oh, that sounds great. And I really would like to write Westerns. They dumped me so fast. (laughs) It was was like breaking the sound barrier, breaking the light barrier. It was so fast. (laughs) And and this is the thing. This is way before Django and the remake of True Grit and all that stuff. And I'd written Western screenplays. Of course, we couldn't do anything with them. Right. So... I was very lucky because I had joined, was able to get into the Western Writers of America uh, because, you know, I've done a lot of film journalism. Right. And lots of commentaries on discs and all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. So they let me in and I started talking to, I mean, my God, I'm talking to John Jakes and, you know, Elmore Leonard and all these guys. And they're saying, yes, go ahead. And, you know, and I realized that what these incredibly successful writers had always been like novelists first, <coughs> excuse me, and movies came to them afterwards. Absolutely, right. And it was like it was like icing on the cake. So I started, you know, I was very intimidated. I had never really, re- I wrote a couple of short stories, I think two, and my second one got published in an anthology overseas. And then the third, uh, short story that I wrote ended up in a collection uh, called Law of the Gun, and I'm looking at the cover right now, with <laughs> Elmer Kelton and John Jakes and Lauren D. Esselman. I mean, they really threw me in the deep end of the pool right? to put me in with these giant guys. And then I got nominated for some awards and stuff. And so it just kind of took off from there. And the editor of that uh, particular book, Gary Goldstein, who runs Pinnacle Books, uh, he asked me to <coughs> excuse me, start a series, and that was Shotgun. Uh, I was going to say, and in that, you created, um, it's Dr. Bishop, I believe. Yes. And, and has the, you know, basically almost mirrors in some ways, you know, the, the classic wants to get out, has seen the Civil War, if I, and, 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 and has seen all the violence and just wants to be done with it. And then, of course, fate doesn't work out that way. Um, and and so, you know, creating a character like that and then creating to where it can go on. What's the, what's the challenges when you're writing a character that, you know, is established as somebody that wants to be done with the violence and everything and then has to keep going kind of back to it? Well, you know, it was a weird thing because um, I had worked on some... Uh, movie books for Gary Goldstein because his company uh, used to, you remember Citadel Press? They used to do a lot of movie books. Yeah. And I helped out on a biography of John Wayne. Okay. And so they were looking for a, you know, a thing to do that they wanted to capture a younger audience because uh, they published all the William Johnstone Westerns. And they said, no, we let's try and skew something young. Django Unchained was going to come out you know, in like six or seven months. Uh Right. So that was, they said we, and I had, I had tried actually shotgun as a comic book and couldn't find a place for it. Really? Yeah. And so I had this artwork uh, and this kind of presentation. And I said, Gary, I've got this. Now I'd never written a novel before ever in my life. I've never attempted one, anything scared me to death. So he takes that stuff and a copy of the script for Django Unchained, it goes to his board of directors and goes, this is what we're doing. Wow. And then he calls me up and says, okay, uh, two books. Because every contract that they like to give out is for two. 
Uh, and, you know, if the first one hits and they can follow up with a sequel right away. If the first one hits, they paid for the sequel. So they put it on the shelf and nobody cares. So the first one did well and then the second one and then then they put the first two together as a thing and now we've done the fourth and we're getting ready to do the fifth and you know we're, we're uh, looks like we're going to be able to do a little uh, shotgun movie so it's all worked out real well so let's talk about the shotgun movie where are we at on that well all we're at right now is uh that the uh the property has been optioned so yay yes because and that means a check <laughs> yes, that means a check. But the, the idea here is it's going to be done right now. We're we're looking at doing something kind of small because the idea is my uh, the sales for mass market paperbacks are right now. It's like through Walmart and Kmart and places like that. Although now we've broken through to like CVS and whatever, which is really great. So what they and, you know, those direct to DV Westerns that you see where it's Chris Christopherson works for a day and yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You see those things on the shelf. So it would be essentially like that, I hope, better. But the idea is that it will be marketed with a shotgun novel. So you would get the DVD and the book together. Oh, okay. And that'll go to Walmart and these other outlets. Yeah. And so you'll get paid I, twice. <laughs> yes. I guess so. Yeah. I, I've got to ask this question. You may not want to answer it, but if you could. Sure. Uh, if you could dreamcast the movie, if money was no object, who would you want in the film? Who do you picture in the film? Oh, for uh, the uh, John Bishop character? Yeah, yeah. Because the oh. covers and everything, I, I was just wondering what you would actually... <clears throat> yeah, the, well, the cover, the, the model they used for the cover originally was the same guy they put on their romance novels. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was going to ask if yeah. that was the case, because I was like, he is... Uh, He's been yeah. to the gym a couple times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so that was, you know, it's just like uh, working for, for a, a budget movie company. You know, this guy is there at the studio and they're like, okay. And they don't know what the book is. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. They just go, oh, yeah, okay, here, stand here. And we're going to take pictures of you in this these clothes. And that's it. And then they just alter the photograph. According. Now, the, the uh, fourth book, uh, These Violent Times, I kept saying, guys, we've got to use like the unforgiven that has got to be our model from now on for our uh cover design and they did they did uh they did do it that way so i was uh i was very uh i was very pleased about that but when you talk you know it's it's tough right now uh i would say honestly let's go back to our kentucky problems Tim Oliphant all the way really? would be my first yeah, choice for yeah. John Bishop. Absolutely. By the way, are you excited? Deadwood's uh, finally in production. Oh, isn't that great? Oh, I, oh we're so excited. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish Walter was directing it, but I'm sure it's going to be very good. Yeah, I saw Peter Jason posted on social media, maybe Facebook the other day, that you know that the his final night, his final shot, and was the other night, and everybody clapped, and he was being emotional in his post about it. And so, yeah, I can't wait. Well, now it's it's just cool because, you know, Westerns have come back whether... Now, usually it's been through things like Godless and what have you, but, you know, they exist again. Thank God. I was about to say, and, 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 and separate to, you know, books and things like that, but I was talking to somebody today and... Video games, Red Dead Redemption Two, the video game that they came out. It's the number one. And, and, 
People that haven't even read a Western or seen a Western. I was I was talking to somebody and they're like, oh no, I've never watched a Western in my life, but I've got to play that game. I've played that game and now I want to go back. Because I'm like, if if Western, if the movies are anything like the game, and I'm like, yeah, they that the game is an homage to what came before. <laughs> no, th that's it. And, you know, th that world, well, I'll tell you, my exposure to that stuff is like slowly coming because... Um, there is actually going to be a board game of uh, my Captain Nemo book, Nemo Rising. Yeah, and we were going to, I was going to get to that. That was going to be my next question. Oh, no, please ask your question. I'll tell you, this is just like the weirdest thing, the way this, yeah. So, so talk to us about that. Talk to us about Cause, Nemo Because you've got a, a, you know, you've got a series now of Westerns going. Yeah. Uh, and then you go, you know, let's go ahead and do Jules Verne. Like, uh, <laughs> what was the process for that? Well, the Jules Verne, I originally, I don't know, you guys are way too young for, to remember this. A million years ago, uh, Universal did a thing called the Universal Action Pack, which was a syndicated action series. It's where Sam Raimi's yeah, Hercules. No, 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 yeah, 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 so no we're, we're familiar that, with it. Uh, that's that's where uh, Hercules and, and uh, Zena. And time tracks. Time, right. time yeah, tracks. time tracks. Oh, and, yes, absolutely. And, by the way, Hal Needham did a Smokey and the Bandit thing. It was called the, the, the Bandit thing. That's right. He sure did. So, there yes, we, ha, ha, are you impressed? Yes. <laughs> we, we watch a lot of television. We, Saturday, morning between, Saturday afternoon between 12 and 3. Wow. <laughs> well, this I wrote this pilot. Yeah. About uh, kind of Captain Nemo as an action hero, ostensibly for that. Uh huh. And I was very excited about it. And then somebody told me about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and this is the Alan Moore comic book, not right. uh, yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I said, well, I'm going to stay away from it because I don't want to be influenced. But then I heard about the movie. And also, too, I was—I had done uh, a thing with a director named Bradford May. Oh, by the way, I didn't know because we'd have talked about other directors. I have Bradford May right here. Bradford May directed a great episode of the Twilight Zone show from the '80s. He directed the Dartman sequels. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yep. sorry, I didn't want to get too crazy in depth on some of our notes. Oh my gosh! Well, no, but he's a great guy. And I showed Brad the script, and he had directed all the Aquaman uh, episodes of uh, Smallville. Uh-huh. Mm. And he had been a showrunner. So he said, look, let's try and get this done. We, And, you know, the, but people were still a little skittish. The movie of Extraordinary Gentleman had come out, and it did what it did. I went to go see it. I was like, okay, well, at least I'm not treading into that area. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. But... You know, it, but it was period. It was the same, you know, it was Victorian. It was, you know, the steampunk elements, all these things that kind of label what I was doing. So we actually, I actually sold uh, Captain Nemo to MGM. And oh man, you know, they take you to the office on the top floor and you're looking over Century City and this gorgeous assistant is bringing you Diet Cokes and everything else. <laughs> what they're doing is they're putting your head on a pike because they optioned my script to take it out of the marketplace so it wouldn't compete with Stargate Atlantis. Uh, you're not the first person that happened to, nor will you ever be the last, right? Exactly. So I, I was, no, I really was goober in the whorehouse. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so, 
you know. I am going I, to use Goober the Whorehouse at least yeah. three more times this week. Yeah. <laughs> but so after, and I eventually just, uh, I, I met a, uh, I reunited with an old friend of mine named Amy Krell, who was uh, producing movies uh, for the Hallmark Channel and various venues. And she loved the script. And so we were trying to get it made with Amy. And we had, and she had finally gotten us a very good close deal. She did a lot of work in England uh, with a company over there and with Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey attached as Captain Nemo. Oh, that's been great. And Haley Atwill signed on to play our female lead. Wow. And she's not unpleasant to look at at all. No. <laughs> and so I go, I go to London. I go to the cast reading and all these, you know, great people are there and everything else. So you just feel like, oh, my gosh, this is we're finally here. This is great. They couldn't get the money. So the thing collapses. And I, this is like now, what, 10, 11 years afterwards. And I was with a friend. Actually, it was my good friend. The book is dedicated to him, Miles Swarthout, who wrote The Shootist. Uh-huh. And we were at a Western Writers Conference, and Miles introduced me to an editor at Tor Books. The, the British movie hadn't fallen apart yet, and the editor goes, let me read your script, because he thought it was going to be a movie tie-in. Right, yeah. He reads the script, they offer me the novel, and he says, let's do this. And then the whole thing falls apart. So I had to call them and tell them there was not going to be any movie, to give them, if they wanted out, to give them the opportunity. But they decided to stick with it. So I wrote wrote it, it came out last Christmas, and then Amy was able to get uh, Brad Cravoy's company. They optioned it. I've already written the pilot. Right. And so we're supposed to, you know, we should be camera rolling, uh, I think, in February on the pilot. We'll see how far it goes. But in the meet, what I did, I was like, well, you know, because I ended up, you know, you own all these ancillary rights. I got a hold of an outfit in New Jersey, a Quixotic Games. Actually, it was run by a cousin of a friend of mine. And I hired them. I borrowed money from my girlfriend and everything else to design a Captain Nemo board game. Uh -huh. And they did a spectacular job based on the novel, and they kind of took it in its own direction. And then they were like, and I financed this whole thing. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And these guys were doing these huge licenses, you know, Star Trek and Harry Potter and Spider-Man and everything. And they said, we're going to take it to WizKids. Well, I knew they were the big guys, and they bought it. Oh, wow. Oh. It's coming out next year. And so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited. And wow, the artwork, the cover of the book is just tremendous. And uh, that artist does all the artwork for Magic: The Gathering. Uh huh. And he did a lot of the artwork for the game as well. Just beautiful stuff. So it just worked out really well. So even if the TV show doesn't happen or whatever, God forbid, I don't want to curse myself. But the game is absolutely good. I mean, it's coming out through this big outfit, so it's really cool. And hopefully, yeah, and I'll be writing a novel sequel as well. So, yay. And I was about to say, and you mentioned, I think it was maybe before we started recording, you, you bought Jules Verne, the first paperback, uh, a, a version and all of that. I, I have to ask, because, you know, we, we see people continue the work of H.G. Wells and all of that stuff. What attracted you to Jules Verne? My, my academic side has to know. Why, why is Jules Verne? Because I think he's still relevant. 
to a lot of people, but what what is it that attracted him or attracted you to his writing? Well, the thing with 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 Vern to me was that he I think really, I think 20,000 Leagues, I mean, when people actually would read the novel, of course, they're usually very surprised it's not as similar to the movie as they think it would be. Yeah. And, of course, it has a lot of stuff about fish, and it has a lot of, you know, and, of course, too, we're reading a translation from French. Right. But he, that groundwork, just like Robert Louis Stevenson, the groundwork that he laid for adventure writing is still, it's still absolutely, it's still there. That's that's what I find fascinating. Wells, you know, would take that stuff, and he went the extremes with War of the Worlds and all this stuff that, you know, Time maybe machine, yeah. gets us a little, little more excited. But with... I think that uh, with Vern, it's always to me more that that storytelling old uh, trope that I that I really love, and uh, also too, I wanted to stay within the foundation that everything I wrote about in Nemo Rising was coming from Jules Verne. My bad guy, well, spoiler, it doesn't matter. But my bad, what I did is I made my my bad guys Robo the Conqueror. Uh huh. So it's Master of the World versus Captain Nemo. Which, yeah, yeah. That's what I did. You, you've just sold a couple more copies of your book. I'm going to be honest. Oh, I, well, I, of course, yeah. Because actually, and, and of course, now I'm tying that back to Vincent Price again because of the, anyway. Okay. Uh, Master and of the, Charles Bronson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, the, uh, um, but I had to ask that because I, I think that's, you know, we do see a lot of people go back to fiction and Alan Moore or to a lot of different, historical quote-unquote fiction. Alan Moore, of course, did plummet very well, uh, pull things from very well for The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and then they made a film. Um, <laughs> That's a terrible you know, movie. The, the guy that I, I actually, because as much as I, with Alan Moore, but who I actually, just to look at, who I went back to, um, was what Nicholas Meyer did with The 7% Solution. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, I kind of took more of a Doc Savage like approach. Did you you guys ever read the the great Tarzan novel that Joe Lansdale wrote? Yeah, yeah. I have not read it. We are familiar with Joe Lansdale, but Very we're well. not. We've not. We've never. A friend of ours actually is friendly with him, but it's one of those. He's a great guy, and he but he was chosen by the Burroughs estate to finish uh, a manuscript. As you know, that Edward Rice Burroughs died that while he was writing. Right. So I that thing just never left my side. Really? Just that approach and everything else. Because I wanted what we did with Nemo to be, you know, action. I wanted it to be Alistair McLean, really, you know, meets Jules Verne on a drunken weekend. <laughs> so we need to go out and pick that up. Now, we're also huge Nicholas Meyer fans, by the way. So uh, that and Time After Time and, and, and anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny when, when you can, like, the spin on these uh, characters and uh, you see how it's been explored before and how people, you know, they go off. Because um, I did a commentary on the Blu-ray of Mysterious Island. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, and that movie had so much impact on on me. I just came in. And I, I, knew, I got to know Herbert Long because I uh, edited a book, a novel he wrote. Really? Yeah. And uh, oh, he was great. I, I could probably even do this for you because <clears throat> he he lived, you know, he lived in England. He'd come in, and I'd get these great phone calls. <clears throat> Courtney, it's time for us to go to work. 
So I would go over. And he always, and the man lived like a sultan. I mean, he just, oh my gosh, that's the life that I always wanted. And he was just the greatest guy. He was so nice. Well, but I would sit with Herbert Lom and edit his book for him. So we've kept you on almost an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. I, I know, I know. We don't want to take and up And we could keep you on for another two we hours. We could keep you on another two hours. We're just trying to be nice because we didn't really talk about how long you had beforehand. I apologize. I was halfway through going, should I Should I ask? No, this is too good. If yeah. he wants to talk, we're going to let you talk because we're... We <laughs> oh, well, it. you guys are very nice to let me ramble. And we didn't even get to no, talk to you about ramble. adapting H.P. Lovecraft. Well, so. yeah, oh, and gosh, we do yes. want... Well, oh, you, do you want to ask about... Yeah, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about Lovecraft the, and list, well, at least about... Yeah, do you have time? Lovecraft came out of his grave like a scalded cat. <laughs> but if you don't if you do you have a few more minutes to sure, ask a few more yeah, questions sure. okay because i know the last question i want to ask go ahead chad no i was just it was lurking fear right it was lurking fear yeah. so mm -hmm. you adapted a short story of lovecraft into a fully fully feature how did you go about doing that because i mean do you take you i mean you're, you're you obviously have a um a career of adapting, like taking people's characters and adapting them into something amazing. And How you, do you and you, you obviously appreciate it and have the the knowledge of it. And you're obviously no fence or a geek, which is awesome and a nerd like us. Yeah, because no, I'm lo <laughs> and I'm loving this film, this uh, this film history one on one conversation we're having. Yeah, just, but, but yeah, but, but <laughs> here is my mouse pad is the JMR mummy puzzle. So oh, yeah, that's amazing. Oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got to come to Lexington and hang out, and then the, yeah, you just got just and here just to see the basement, which is the weirdest oh, thing you ever see anybody say to anybody. But anyway, go ahead, Chad. No, I was just trying to. So you took um, the process of adapting H.P. Lovecraft from a short story to a feature-length film. Well, I really didn't know quite honestly what I was getting into when uh, Charlie uh, asked me to do it, and as you know, um, Stuart Gordon had been involved with uh, an adaptation with uh, Barbara Crampton, <clears throat> but I never read it. I never read the script. I didn't know really what their approach was going to be. And Lurking Fear is another one of those <clears throat> first-person narratives that ends up with the host finally revealing that he's in an insane asylum, yeah. writing with his foot, you know, it, it's, so you're like, well, it's so slim and it's all perceptions and it's madness. And I originally, there was a wonderful movie. I really, I really like, it was written by a good friend of mine called Of Unknown Origin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Butler uh, in the, right, in the apartment with the rat. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, that's with, uh, uh, with uh, Robo, why can't I think of Peter, uh, Peter Weller. Weller? Peter Weller, yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah, George Cosmotis directed it. Who directed and, Tombstone I, and Leviathan? Yeah, sorry, yes, keep going. Exactly. <laughs> and my friend Brian Taggart wrote it, and I just said, no, you know, that's that should be the approach. This shouldn't be some guy, and he's being terrorized by these things in the walls or whatever. And I was talking to Jeff Combs about it, and Jeffrey said that, well, you end up with a character who's washing his hands every fifteen minutes, and he was right. It was kind of that, and I thought, well. So I fell back on, honestly, some things that I was comfortable with, which was the crime thing and everything else. I figured, well, let me try and manipulate this because the, the story had to blossom someplace. It had to expand. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that was 
but there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of honestly false starts before we just uh, went that way. And two, uh, since I was going to direct it, uh, but also this was going to be limited. This was going to be, uh, frankly, less money than we had on transfers. Oh, wow. Because it was Romania. Right. And uh, but it was it was a wonderful experience. I you know John Finch and I weren't exactly uh, camping buddies, but uh, <laughs> Paul Mantee was terrific, and of course Jeff Combs was just so wonderful. And uh, my cousin Allison uh, Mackey was in it, and uh, I liked Ashley Lawrence a lot, and so it was a it was a wonderful experience. Plus I hung around and got married and did all kinds of so it was it was quite the little adventure there. <laughs> That's so. What was the problem with uh, Mr. Finch? Just an eye to eye, just how the movie was being made. Just what well, directing? John. John uh, I mean, John's gone now, and I would say the thing is with John, <clears throat> John had a little bit of a, I would say, kind of a bully mentality, and he wanted to be challenged, and I wasn't up to the task of challenging him. Right. So the dynamic was never set, unfortunately. And I really do, I blame myself. If I had gotten in John's face one day and really blasted him, I think things would have gone a million times better. But I was intimidated by him. He knew it. And so we never found, you know, our our common ground. We had one night, late one night, where we'd sit and uh, had some drinks and stuff, and uh, he was talking about frenzy and... Roman Polanski's Macbeth and all that, of course, and I was loving that, so getting all this stuff firsthand. But it just goes to show you that uh, I had my choice between uh, Barry Foster, also from Frenzy, and Zulu, who, and I just love him, John or David Hemmings. Uh-huh. And I was sitting on the trunk of my car. It was at the old Empire offices. It was Friday night. I was sitting on the trunk of my car with Jeff Burr, and we were talking about all three of these guys because we love all three of these guys. Right, right. Barry Foster got sick, and so it was between John and David Hemmings. And the reason I went with John, honestly, of course, and I love him in Frenzy and all these other wonderful movies he was in. Of course, he was a hammer guy, the vampire lovers and horror Frankenstein and everything. But I felt like, well, David Hemmings has directed so much that he is going to try and kind of buffalo me. Well, you know what? I needed that. I, Hemmings, of course, turns out everyone said he was just the nicest guy in the world and he would have been there to pitch in and really help. John, yeah. you know, challenged me. And honestly, at that time, I wasn't up to the challenge. So the dynamic, you know, just wasn't very good. Right. Uh, okay. So, uh, Dr. Morgan? Yeah, might as well. We got it. Yeah. Well, we got to ask you about Dr. Mordred. Sure. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us about writing it. Tell us about working on it. Well, Dr. Mordred started as a project that uh, Jack Kirby had developed at uh, with Charlie called Dr. Mortalis. Uh huh. And uh, in fact, I've got some of the original stuff right here, at least the brochure stuff. And, uh, you know, Charlie was a huge comic book fanatic. And he had, you know, one of the greatest comic book collections. I mean, you know, like Nick Cage level comic. In fact, I know Nick Cage has bought a lot of comics from Charlie. Oh, and really? So, I don't know oh, that I knew that. Did you? I didn't know he bought them. We did not know that. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. And so uh, I think Charlie, Charlie may have at the time 
tried to buy the rights to Doctor Strange? I've been asked that question a few times, and I honestly, I don't know. You know, this was during that weird Marvel period. Now, everybody kind of thinks of Marvel the way it is now. They don't realize, they don't realize yeah, right. Chapter 11 and all that stuff and the canon period and, you know. Captain America wearing, wearing a driving a motorcycle, wearing a helmet, yeah. Red, brown, yeah, and all that stuff. and <clears throat> Red Skull's Italian. <laughs> yes, and the and the uh, the never made Michael Winner Spider Man. That's the one I really wish existed. See, but, my friend Joe here wants to see the the Toby, Toby Hooper version of Spider Man. Oh, also yes, that Did you, also yes, yes, and and you could for a while you could still buy some of the artwork that uh, they made up for Toby. There, I don't even think there was a script. They just had Toby Hooper under a three-picture deal where he did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Too. We did a whole episode on canon, sorry. but uh... yeah. Well, no, and, well, Ted Newsom, I think, wrote, uh, didn't he write the draft of Spider-Man in canon? I think he did. I can't I remember. That's right. I, that I sounds right. Anyway, they ended up with James Cameron for a while, but yeah, keep going. And it went, so, so anyway, you know, Charlie wasn't able to close it because I think there had been a TV, a CBS movie of Doctor Strange. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. That I've now, I've seen since. And so it was like, well, go ahead and let's do this. And I was looking at all the stuff. And so I said, okay. And I just dove in and kind of tried to put Dr. Strange quite honestly out of my immediate purview. But of course it's, I mean, it's in there. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I wrote Dr. Mordred uh, following that. And, but you know, the greatest thing is I would describe things like that planet where the guys are being, you know, held prisoner and uh, those little creatures. And you look at that miniature and it does, it looks like a panel from Thor penciled by Jack Kirby and inked by Vince Coletta. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I think those guys, David Allen and his crew so completely captured that. And, you know, you would ask the question about uh, writing for the budget and everything else. I called Charlie and I said I had this idea because I'd always wanted to do it about the dinosaur fight in the museum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would there be, what are the limitations? Because of course I knew there were only going to be so many cuts because it was going to be stop motion anyway. But he just told me to go ahead and do it. And just to show you, the brain doesn't always click. I write the thing, we turn it in and we're having a meeting with David Allen and David's kind of frowning. He's looking at the pages he goes, well, you know, there's a problem here with one of your dinosaurs. And I'm like, oh, which one? You know, I'm, I'm all proud of myself for coming out of this idea. I had included a pterodactyl. Uh-huh. But, of course, when a pterodactyl is a fossil, it doesn't have any skin on the wings, so it can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> so it would have been just these bones, you know, kind of, you know, chopping air. You, that's when you just say, listen, it's a movie. Shut up. <laughs> so we lost the pterodactyl. You know, it would have been kind of cool because it would have been like, you know, kind of walking around like a giant spider. But anyway, we got rid And uh, I love that. It's the closest I'm ever going to come to Ray Harryhausen. But that uh, I love that we were able to do that sequence. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I thought Jeff was great. You know, he had so much fun with it. And we shot that, by the way, uh, because, you know, we were backed by Paramount. Uh, we had some pretty neat soundstage uh, access, and that was shot at the same Steve Cannell's studio where they were doing Hunter with Fred Dreyer. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, okay, yep. same time. Yep, yep. absolutely. Uh, all right, so uh, we need to probably wrap it up. I know you've been in here quite a while. Do you guys have any more questions? Because I have one final question. Uh, one thing I just want to know is, you know, you, you've, you, you're now heavily involved in the Westerns. 
Uh, it sounds like Nemo is is going to take off in board game form and various at least in some way that's expanding. Some way, yeah. I uh, hope so. is, is there anything knowing that you may not want to reveal everything? Is there anything coming up that you want to tell people about that you may something that you may be working on that you want to share? And well, that's it's really uh, you know those two uh, projects just because they've been percolating for such a long time. Oh, yeah. And, um, but I've been doing, oh, I can tell you something. You guys have probably, have you seen the trailer for Celluloid Wizards in the video Wasteland? No, but it sounds amazing. The video documentary, check it out. Daniel Griffith, who I've worked a lot with, we've done all these supplements for all these DVDs and these Blu-rays, and I've been in a lot of Daniel's documentaries. Uh, this is the rise and fall of Empire Pictures. Oh, we this have to see it. Is it's feature length? We just now. Richard Band did an original score for it. It's just now being finished up, and it is fantastic. And I'm I executive produced it with Danny Bilson, and it, yeah, it should be out this year. And uh, it's it's going to be absolutely terrific because this is it's it's about Charlie. It's about all that stuff. But it is also about the bubble of the VHS independent world and how it came. And then when it exploded, what happened to Empire and TWE and Action International and all of those. Companies. Oh, yeah. That's, I want to see it. I want to see it. Court, <laughs> I hope this has been fairly decent for you because we would love to have you. And, and, and is he the director? Is the other person? Yep, the, who's the director. Daniel, you have yeah. to come back on the show when it comes out, both of you. Absolutely. Oh, no, that'd be great. Yeah. And talk about it because we would love oh, yeah. that. That would be great. Because so much of what we what we had as kids and what we grew up with and what we were exposed to. And our is, audience loves it. It's because of the VHS boom. And, and it's actually how we kind of became friends talking about these films that other people think are obscure. Oh, no, this is great. And, yeah, the uh, the trailer's up on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, we'll check it please out. Please take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah, did you do something on the thing too? Are you working on something with yeah, the thing? Yeah, I did. I was. Uh, I'm in the documentary about it, really talking about the Chris Nyby thing. That was for Daniel. Yeah, yeah. I I was looking for it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Where would you locate these things? That was that was the edition. I think that was the steel book that was Arrow UK. Is that? Oh, so it's only in the UK. Uh, I believe it is because we also did like the Incredible Shrinking Man. I just had um, Texas Adios which is going to be actually coming out with a big special edition of Django, the steel book. Right. I just did a commentary on that with Henry Park, and uh, that comes out, I think, in about three weeks. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've done this quite a bit. I mean, now we're, we're closing in on 100 times. Now, and for, we could do a whole show on, with you about all the commentary yeah. that you've done, too, yeah. and we'd love to get into that. So, But I know you got time. We're running. We're running. So my last question is, your best William Shatner story. Did you have to do so? William Shatner has a horse farm yes. here outside of Lexington. I don't know if you knew that or not. Because yes, I do. Okay, so okay, there's sightings here all the time. Honestly, believe it or not, I've met him and it was absolutely pleasant. He's met him and it's been pleasant. Yeah, yeah. I I, I worked for a company that shot horse shows and I, I was responsible for actually filming his horse and it didn't go very well. He has a non-pleasant. So literally, two out of the three of us have had a pleasant experience, which is better than what you hear. <laughs> okay, I had been warned. All these things about Bill's ego and all the rest of this stuff, i that was not my experience at all. Nor mine, nor his, but him. <laughs> and 
So we, I, that was an enormous amount of material I had to write because writing all of Bill's material, and he had a guy he liked to work with to write some additional jokes. So what were you writing for him so far? I wrote all 13 episodes of a show called William Shatner's Fright Night. And so it was Bill introducing these movies, doing all these interstitials between the films. And then we had a special guest that Bill would interview. That's a, a real regular interview uh, for every single other. In fact, Stan Lee was on the show. And so we, it was wonderful. And I was responsible for all, all of that stuff. Now here was, here is the thing. I'll tell you a, a uh, Two stories. I'll tell you one that's kind of serious and one with the with the funny one. Um, at one point, this was for the Sci-Fi Channel. They had approached Bill about doing a public service announcement about uh, binge drinking. <laughs> yeah. Now his wife had recently drowned. Remember that? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was appalled that they would ask him this because it was you know. But he didn't get angry. He just showed me these pages he said do you think this is funny and i'm like no i don't and so he called them up and he said look i don't know who it was but he said uh look i will do this but only if courtney rewrite it writes it and i did and they probably ran that thing 200 times so that was very sweet i mean there was no money or anything but that was a really lovely little endorsement and and everything else but i can tell you i mean people were kind of walking on eggshells with bill it turned out to be completely unnecessary he was great. And okay, our uh, line producer had done a lot of adult movies. And it was a woman. And she was married, uh, but I guess still is, to Fred Lincoln from Last House on the Left. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and now Fred Lincoln is F.J. Lincoln, the adult film director. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So he comes to the set, and I noticed at where we were filming, there were uh, signs like, please be fully clothed when you go into the front office and all this type of stuff, or these signs. And I, and I was like, okay. And our, our makeup girls were not to be believed. I was like, all right, what? It's something good. And it, it, was a, it was an adult movie stage. I think it was owned by Vivid. Uh-huh. So everybody kind of didn't want Bill to find out. They thought this would be a big, he would freak out or something. <laughs> finally, Bill finds out about it. We're standing around kind of talking about finally, yes, well, yeah. and here's William Chad. I'll try to do this for you. He's looking around and he says, so you're telling me that people have had orgasms where I'm standing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> And then you yeah. looked at him and said, well, not why you were here, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was some clarification, but there you go, yeah. Uh, oh, and on that I'm note... Saying, this has been awesome. Thank you, thank you. This is Thank perfect. you. So, can you hold oh, on for one second you. while we end the show, and then I'll, I'll, we'll come right back to you, and then we'll sign off. Is that okay? Thank That's you terrific. so much, thank Courtney Joyner. You have been one of our best guests that we've ever had. So many great stories. Yes. I, I, it really was, just really quick, and I'm not just saying this to stroke his ego, he was one of our best guests. He's right up there. He, we enjoyed it so much. I mean, not only does he work in film, but he is a film 
historian. Right. And and if you watch the show on YouTube, if you're listening to it on iTunes, do yourself a favor. You don't have to watch all of it. Just look at a couple of the clips just to see some of the wonderful one sheets and half sheets he has in the yeah. background. He he not he's one of us. Yeah, I mean he you know, a good And I mean that in the best possible way. He's a better one of you know, us, a, a but good, he's one of us. A good story that happened before Haley was recording is Joe has a House of Usher uh, half sheet over here. It's not a half sheet. It, well, whatever it is. I thought it was a... Um, well, he thought it was one thing, and then we showed it to C. Courtney, and he proceeded to tell us the whole history of what it was. Right. He knew better than I did. And by the way, and this is in the in the tri-state area in Lexington, I often, I shouldn't say often, but about once every couple of years, somebody knows somebody to get me to say, is this poster real? Not necessarily, I'm not authenticating, but I am authenticating for folks. Yeah. He knew much more than I did. Oh, yes. And it was impressive. And like I said, he was so nice to us. We had such a great conversation. And we had a wonderful conversation before and after the episode. And what we've got to let you know is that he's got some news coming out with another project. And he is going to be back on the show later on for us to do it. We're already, we haven't scheduled it yet, but it's going to happen. Looking really forward. We're really looking forward to it and giving you more news about that. And it's going to be, it's it's one of those where Bonehead's going to be before everybody else or a lot of other folks. So right. keep tuning in. What we really need you to do right now is really share us on your social media. Get people to subscribe. The more subscribers we have, the easier it is, I say this all the time, to get great guests like that because people... We get them two ways. We reach out with cold calls, and then we have friends like Mick Strawn, who's been great to us over the years, who will introduce us to other people, and then we meet people and introduce, just like you do in everyday life. But it's easier for us to look like we know what we're doing when we say we have X amount of subscribers. We have this many people. Oh, okay, I'll take it. Because every time Dick and Harry has a YouTube podcast, blah, 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 blah. Right. And we want to be a different Dick Harry. Yep. <laughs> Not so much the Tom. <laughs> so, thank you so much to Courtney. I just can't, I don't, we can't thank you yeah, enough. we can't thank you enough. We'll have you back on the uh, on the show sometime in the new year. Thank you the if rest. If you'll of... have us. Oh, we miss you. <laughs> Share us on your social media. Make sure that you are subscribing and make sure you have your friends subscribe as well. This is Bonehead. Have a great day. We're out. I don't know what else to say. I've never really came with a way of... Have a great day. Have a good day? How about not say that at all? What would you want to say? Get the hell out. <laughs> They're not actually here. That's a camera. They could get out of their own damn houses. But then they won't watch or listen to us. They have phones. They could go for a walk. They're going to go for a I'm walk. Promoting a healthy America. of listening to owls and natures and shit, they're going to listen to us. Yep. That was a good way to end the episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Is it racist to do bad Russian accent? In America, uh, everyone have shitty YouTube show. <laughs> Welcome to the Boing Head. In America, YouTube you. That's not funny, I'm, but you could probably play... What's the one out in Missouri? Blanton? Uh, uh, Bardstown? No, uh, Branson. Branson. You could probably play Branson with that joke. He's the, he has a he actually has a show in Branson. I know that's the reason okay. why I was thinking of it. Oh, whatever. We're talking happened. about Yakov Whatever please. happened to Yakov? Well, speaking of yakking off, here's C. Courtney Joyner. Oh, I didn't know you were oh, recording. Oh no, hold on. That, we were we're doing the end of yeah, it. Yeah, we're doing we? the end. That I didn't know was we were C. Courtney Joyner. Uh,
Mm-hmm.